Well, I've been uh, looking forward to this series for like over a year now. We've had it on the calendar last year, got pushed off. And then finally I was like, we're doing it. We're putting it on the calendar. We're sticking to it. And so we've been looking forward to this series, uh, walking through the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapters two and three for the next seven weeks. Uh, You know, I just want to start off by saying this morning, there's a lot of gentlemen in here. I saw a lot of ladies and families walking in by themselves. And then like a couple minutes later, men walking in, towing in their family in tow. So, so well done, gentlemen, well done. Way, way taken, you know, dropping them off and falling, you know, kudos to that. But I want to start here this morning and say, I don't know if you're the type of person who reads or writes reviews. Maybe you're someone who before you buy a product, you're going to read all the reviews about it. Or perhaps before you visit a new restaurant, you you want to check out the reviews to see if the food's any good or not. And if you spend any time, though, on like Google reviews or Yelp, there's some pretty comical ones. And I want to share a couple of those with you this morning. Here's a review for a place called Taco Santos. This this one cracks. The person said, the entire kitchen staff while I was in the restaurant, along with the wait staff, saw an ice cream truck and they all ran outside, leaving me alone in the restaurant. Ten minutes later, they all came back with ice cream cones. I just purely can't believe this actually happened in an establishment. It was a pretty good one. Here's one about a uh, a police station. The police cars were very roomy and comfortable. They were overall gentle to me and handcuffed me in a good way. 10 out of 10 would get arrested by this department again. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess that's some goals for you in life. Uh, This this one's classic. This is for Domino's Pizza. It said, my delivery time told me it would be, be between 45 and 60 minutes, but they showed up in 25 minutes instead. One star review. It's like, all right, well, I guess you weren't that hungry. This one, this one, though, is my favorite. Takes the cake. This is a Google review or an Amazon review about a giant beach ball. Listen to this. It says, we took this ball to the beach, and after close to two hours to pump it up, we pushed it around for a good 10 fun-filled minutes. It was at that point that the wind picked up, and it sent it hurtling down the beach at 40 knots. It destroyed everything in its path. Children screamed in terror as the giant inflatable monster crushed their sandcastles, Grown men were knocked down trying to save their families, and the faster we chased it, the faster it rolled. It was like mocking us. Eventually, we had to stop running after it because its path of injury and destruction was going to cost us a fortune in legal fees if we fessed up to it. Rumor has it that this can still be seen stalking innocent families on the Florida panhandle. We lost it to South Carolina, so there's something to be said about its durability." That is a review for a beach ball, if I have read one or not. This whole series, talking about the seven, it kind of sets up this idea that Jesus is writing to these churches directly. He gives a vision to this guy by the name of John. He writes them down. He's essentially reviewing these churches. He's going to tell them, this is what you've been getting right. This is what you've been getting wrong. This is where you need to address. And I think it begs the question, as we walk through this, is how do you think Jesus would review us as a church? How do you think Jesus would perhaps review you in your faith? How would Jesus maybe review the entire American church as a whole? So if you have your Bible, I want to start this series off in in Revelation chapter 1 this morning. Revelation, really easy to find. It's the last book in your Bible, uh, the last section. You can take out your sermon notes, follow along with us. Starting next week, we'll have our memory verse for this series. It's going to be Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 because of the snowpocalypse. Those weren't quite ready for us. We'll have those for you at the pickup stations next week. But this is kind of some setup for the context 
context of what we're diving into for the next seven weeks. Revelation chapter one, verse three, it starts off by giving us these words. It said, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. If you skip to verse 12 and 13, it says, I turned around, this is John speaking in this vision, to see a voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone standing like a son of man. He's referring to Jesus here, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with the golden sash around his chest. Now, the whole entire book of Revelation was written by this guy by the name of John. And John was stranded on this island called Patmos, and he was kind of there by himself. He was one of the 12 disciples. 11 of the 12 disciples were murdered. They were killed because they believed and followed Jesus. And John was the only one who did it, but he was at least stranded, and that's where he eventually died. He receives this vision from the Spirit of God, and he writes it down. And these are the letters that Jesus is essentially giving to these churches. Jesus kind of like, I got a review for you guys. I got some things I want to say. John's going to kind of be my secretary. And John will actually write these down and then they'll be delivered to these churches. And so as we go through this series, it's important to remember that these aren't fictional. This isn't mythological. This isn't just pure allegory sometimes as some people think of the book of Revelation. Rather, these were real cities with real churches and real people receiving real correction. Now, there's an important facet in Bible study, it's, or hermeneutics as we call it, it's that it cannot mean to them what it did not mean to us. And so in this instance, we're essentially reading someone else's mail. We're kind of peeking in, like, oh, like we're seeing, oh, well, oh you, got, you didn't do so well on this test. You, you should have studied or, or tried a little bit harder. And so we get to, though, learn and glean from them. These letters are not written to us, but there are things for us that we can learn from it. And John starts by saying, so here are these seven lampstands, and here's this man in a robe who's kind of standing amidst them all, holding them all together. And the lampstand is a reference to the church. Because what a lampstand is, is supposed to be, it's supposed to be light in a dark place. Sometimes we refer to the church as a city on a hill, hope for the hopeless, peace when all peace seems to be lost. And so it's starting off with this vision of this reminder. This is what the church ought to be. Jesus is kind of like playing whack-a-mole with these seven churches. One of them, the, this issue pops up. He's like, oh, bah, nope, nope, can't do that. And this one, oh, bah, bah. And he, so he's kind of bopping them on the head, trying to get them back into their right place. But he's not doing it because he's angry. He's not doing it because he's harsh. He's doing it out of love. Jesus stands among these seven lampstands, these seven churches out of love, out of desire for them to be what he has called them to be. And leads us to kind of this first thought for us this morning is that you cannot love Jesus and not love his church. Let me say that again. You can't love Jesus but, but say, no, but I don't really need the church. And perhaps you've heard this before. Or perhaps you know someone that that's kind of their mentality in the Christian faith. Is, oh, I'm cool with Jesus. I really like Jesus. You know, no, no, you know, Jesus is great. I love what he's doing. You know, I read the Bible, but, but the whole church thing, nah, not, not, not for me. You know, I love Jesus and I love my personal study time and I love what Jesus has in store for my life, but I'm done with church. I've quit on church. Now, I can understand that sentiment. I can empathize probably perhaps where that comes from. Maybe you've been hurt by the church or spurned or whatever it is. But the truth of the matter is you can't love Jesus and reject his bride, reject his church. 
The truth is no church is perfect, no pastors are perfect, people are messy, we make up the church, but Jesus is making it clear. He's saying, I love this place. I love my church and I desire, I need them to be better. Not for my sake, Jesus says, but for the sake of the world. And that's what these seven letters are all about. Is Jesus' love for the church and the Christians that make them up for the sake of the world. And so I want you to keep this thought in the back of your mind over the next seven weeks is if we were church number eight, what would our review look like? You're going to notice something that, that throughout this, there's this cadence you'll talk about, you'll learn about the city, you'll learn about the church, you'll learn about the correction, but there's always this call at the end of this is how you need to kind of fix this. And there's this distinction of a faithful church, and it's this. So a faithful church has a genuine passion for God, seen for a love for the word, the Bible, and for others. Almost every single church we're going to encounter, it's all going to get summarized in this way. You either need to love the word of God better, you need to love other people better, perhaps you need to do both significantly better or not. Because the church exists to worship, and that's what worship is. Sometimes we refer to worship as when we sing the songs on the stage. Man, worship this morning from the song perspective was amazing. I always know it's going to be a good service when the drummer is like, you know, bobbing his head to the beat and whatnot. That's when you know it's just like, okay, this, this worship set's going to be on point. But worship isn't just songs. It's everything that we do as the body of Christ. So when we take communion. Right now, listening to a sermon, listening to the truths of scripture, that is a part of worship. Basically, anything that you do to express your love for God, knowledge for God, your heart for God, or your heart for others as a result, that is worship. And it's pretty simple and obvious because when Jesus was asked, hey, like, what's the greatest commandment? When the scribes and Pharisees tried to back Jesus in and say, hey, we need you to pick just one thing above all else. What's the one thing that the church or Christians ought to do? He summarizes it by saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that sounds pretty easy. How do Christians ever mess that up? Churches, come on, you love God, you love people? I mean, is it that hard? But the truth is, the book of Revelation provides this context of something deeper and something spiritual that's going on right now. And sometimes we forget, or we don't realize it, and is that there is a battle going on for this world. There is a war that is raging for your soul constantly in this life. And on one side, you have God. You have Yahweh, the sovereign triune creator of the universe. And on the other side, you have Satan. And they are waging war for territory, for claim, for stake in this world and in your life. So how is it that, that we can't love God and love others? Because it's so simple. How do we miss the draft? It's because there's a war going on. And Satan uses these, these subtle tactics to slowly draw away our worship because he wants to lead you to a place of death and pain and distraction and destruction. Whereas God says, I've built a kingdom with you and for you if you would follow me with your life. But Satan is crafty. And what we're going to see throughout these letters is what could be very true of these churches could be true of our church. It could also be true in your life as very much well as mine. And Satan attacks the one thing that he knows he's got to go after. And it's their worship. Their worship becomes the target. Either I can get you to stop loving God or maybe I can get you to, to not love others. Sometimes both. Sometimes it's apparent. Sometimes it's subtle, right? 
And so here's the three attacks we'll see throughout these seven weeks, and then we'll go and dive into our first church, which is in Church of Ephesus. But here's the three attacks. Satan will try to first and foremost divert your worship. I'll try to get you to to just focus on an aspect of our faith. We talk about discipleship as both having head knowledge and heart change. And sometimes Satan tries to say, just focus on the head knowledge. Just just study and learn and read, but you you don't really have to treat people any different. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but go ahead and treat your neighbors like trash. That's, that's a way that Satan tries to divert our worship. Focus on this pillar, but forget these other ones. That's the first tactic. The second tactic is to distort our worship. He tries to say, hey, maybe perhaps have you considered? Hey, 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 what about that thing over there? And he tries to distort it in a way to where we maybe become aware of things, but we become indifferent. Well, I know what I ought to do, but I'm not just going to do it, or it's not that important, or I'm going to get stuck here instead. And the third way is to just purely neglect worship. Just stop worshiping altogether. Mail it in, call it quits, say it doesn't really make a difference in your life, and move on. So let's dive into this first church here in uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is the church in Ephesus. Follow along with me. Uh, Jesus says these words through the Apostle John. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. So far, so good, right? Verse four says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken, perhaps your translation might say lost, might say abandoned, the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Their worship was diverted. The city of Ephesus was an iconic city. Think of it like a modern day New York or perhaps a Milan. It was a place that people wanted to be at. People wanted to live there for a couple reasons. Number one, it was a political powerhouse that nothing happened in the ancient world without going through Ephesus first. On top of that, it was the home of the Greek and Roman goddess Diana slash Artemis, and so it was a major place of worship. Now, these were the goddesses of infertility, meaning um, they were also the goddesses of the way you fix infertility, if you catch my drift. And that was kind of the, the whole point of this city. It was this place, all of these roads converged, so it became a melting pot of different religions and values and ethnicities in one place, and that was Ephesus. They had the money, they had the trade routes, they had the worship, they had the goddess in their backyard, that everything, and this is where it's important, was built on the sensuality of follow your heart, follow your emotions, the feelings of your life. 
And John uh, makes note when Jesus says, oh, there's Nicolaitans. And what they were, they were this, this off-sect, this apostasy people of the church. And which says, hey, you don't even like what they teach and, and, and what they stand for. Because this is what those group of people were doing, and it's important for the context, is these people thought that they could mash church with culture. Let's take what we like about church and let's take what we like about culture and put it together. And what it arrived at for the people who followed and listened was a religion based on your feelings, that what you felt was true. And if you didn't feel it anymore, then you got to quit. You got to move on. You got to figure out your feelings, your heart, your desires. That is what is good and right and pure and true. Feelings are truth. And so whether that's following with what your heart says, whether that's what Jesus says, everything just becomes a giant feeling. And that's where we get the, the warning. Their worship was trying to be diverted towards their feelings. Now, the church in Ephesus was unrivaled in its legacy. Started by the Apostle Paul. Timothy, when he was in his early 20s, a, a church, they think of five, 6,000 people, he was installed as their leader. Apollos and, and Priscilla both preached there from time to time. Uh, Aquila was along with her serving there. Like the legacy, this list of the leaders of this church was just incredible. It just went on. They had all of the things going for them. And it starts off with you think they're going to get this five-star review, right? You had busy feet, clean hands, strong soldiers, sound mind, pure hearts. Man, everything is going good. But, Jesus says, but, your soul is adrift. You've lost, you've abandoned, you've forsaken your first love. One star. When I hear this, it reminds me of kind of the issues that Jesus had with the Pharisees. You know all the rules, you know the scripture, you do all the right things, but you're a whitewashed tomb. You do all the right stuff, but your heart is far from me. The church in Ephesus, they were discerning the word of God. They were calling out evildoers. They were enduring hardship, persecution, suffering for the sake of Christ, but they forgot one thing. They forgot Jesus himself. And that's the trickery here that Satan uses to divert their worship. It's that you can do all the right things and still lack the main thing. You can do all the right things, but still lack the main thing when it comes to faith. So what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if I do all these things, if I speak in tongues, if I do all these miraculous works, but I have not love, I am but a resounding gong. You could do all the things on track and still find yourself off-road. Let me give you a little illustration for this side of the room, let me, let me give you guys an illustration this morning. I'll get you guys one later, but here we go. Let's say you, you, you're swooned and you, you, anyone here married? Who, you know, show of hands. You guys can raise your hands too. You can participate in this. Okay, cool. All right. So let's imagine you, you fall in love, you're swooned, and you've got the girl and you're like, hey, I need to spend the rest of my life with this girl. She just, man, dreamboat, all the checks, all the boxes. And you say, I want to create the best proposal ever. So you find that spot, maybe it's like overlooking a, a, a cliff and there's a river or a lake and, and then you get it so though that it's facing 
westward because that's when the sun sets, right? Yep. And, and, and you're like, okay, we're going to do it at sundown so it's pretty. And I'm, I'm going to do research for weeks to make sure that the weather's good. And I'm going to line the path to get there with thousands of candles and rose petals. And I'm going to tell our family and they're going to be hiding in the bushes. And, I'm gonna, and then I'm going to get over here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hire a photographer and she's going to be ready. And they're going to be one of those photographers that got the drone up there. So we're going to have all the sick footage. And then, you know, I got the ring. It's all ready. I got it off the Neil Lane because he does The Bachelor and that's what she loves and you get it all ready and she shows up and you never pop the question. You never get the girl. You never get married. You do all the right things but there's one thing above all that you need. There's one thing that all the right things exist for. It's the love that comes from that person. Jesus says in verse two, I know. You can't fool me. You can't go through all the motions. You can't do all of the right things, but I know where your heart is at. He commends them. He's saying you're committed. I mean, what church doesn't thrive? No church succeeds on spare change, leftover time, breadcrumbs. Your doctrine is strong. You're not easily swayed. That's a good thing. But you left me behind. You never popped the question. You never united our lives together. You've lost, you've abandoned, you've left behind, (laughs) revelation joke, your first love. And this is true of life, not just faith, right? You ever hear of athletes who talk about losing a love for the game? A musician who says, I just didn't really feel the music like I used to. Perhaps you know someone, perhaps you are the person who started a business because you wanted to change the world and over time it became about profits and margins. It's true in faith too. Perhaps you feel that way sometimes in your marriage. Let's be honest, I feel that way sometimes. The butterflies aren't really there all the time. Man, it's not the way it used to be. Maybe you picked up a hobby and when you first got that hobby, you spent hours doing research and and spending time in the garage getting ready for that hobby and then it fizzles out. Now it just collects dust. Maybe you started, you know, you got like an old car that you wanted to, to fix up because, man, that would just be awesome to have this 67 Camaro. Perhaps there's a DIY project and you started the room months ago and there's like that final 15% that you're just like, oh, I don't even care anymore. What do you do when the romance becomes routine? How do you recover? Can you recover a first love? Jesus says, you've left me behind. You've lost, you've abandoned your love for me. This is betrayal language. You're still showing up, but I'm not there with you. If it happened to them, it could happen to us. And I think the question is, is has it? Has it happened to you? Well, Eric, what's the solution then? Are you, are you saying that, that, that if I don't feel it, then I just don't do it? Eric, are you, are you saying then that, that if I don't feel like I'm in the mood or I don't feel like reading the Bible or I don't feel like praying or I don't feel like giving or I don't feel like serving or I don't feel like getting up in like negative two weather when there's a lot of snow and there's probably a little bit of ice on the road and it seems a little, are you, are you saying if I don't feel like it, then I shouldn't go to church? I shouldn't worship God? No, because in that moment, you've fallen into the trap. You've made it about your feeling and not what you know to be true about Jesus. 
Let me offer this piece of advice that I think we can glean from this. It's that it's easier to act your way into a feeling than it is to feel your way into an action. There are days where I wake up that I don't feel like I love my wife. I'm just being honest. Does that mean I quit? Does that mean I file for divorce? Does that mean I I move on? No, what I do is I act out the things I know to be true, but I know I love her. I know I'm committed to her. I know that she loves me in return. The great Joni Erickson taught us she has this thought called the mythical standstill Christian, that somewhere along the lines, Christians have made up this myth that you can be a standstill Christian, she says. She says, but the reality is in the Christian faith, there are two gears and two gears only, drive and reverse. There is no park, there is no neutral. Meaning if you're not going forward, you are going backwards. If you're not going forward, you're going backwards. There's no park, there's no standstill, there's no, well, I used to be going, but now I'm just gonna chill out for a season. I used to kind of be on the right track, doing my, my heart used to be pure and good for God. What Jesus would say, then, then you're falling away from me. You're going backwards. There's no standstill. There's no park. There's no, let's pull it off to the side of the road. Let's slap the sticker on, on the windshield saying, I'll be back when I'm time to come back. Just don't tow my spot, please. We're either moving forward with our love for Christ or it's falling back upon us. This is a huge issue that's flooded the Ephesian society. If you don't feel it, abandon it. If you don't feel it, call it quits. If you don't feel it, go ahead and say it might not be worth it. If you don't feel it in the love for that person, for that thing, or for your God, just go ahead and find a new one. And unfortunately, I think sometimes this invades our churches. Well, if you didn't feel the service this week, it must mean something's off. You been there before? How come, how come, we, we, you know, I was in high school ministry, we experienced this all the time. We take students to this thing called CIY and there'd be this, you know, this huge crowd, hundreds, sometimes thousands of students and, and they're all into the singing the songs and listening and all that type of stuff. And then they get home and then they ask this question, well, I don't feel it like I used to. Perhaps you feel that way sometimes. Sometimes you come here like, man, that service was awesome. Other times you're like, I don't know. I might as well just stay at home. So what do you do? How do you rekindle a lost love? See, churches are not meant to be emotional epicenters. Emotions come and go. Feelings fade over time. But Jesus hasn't left the building. Jesus says, you are my lampstand. I am the one who puts the oil in. I am the one who lights your spark, lights your flame. It's not up to us to dictate how the spirit moves. That's up to him. What we do is we show up, we worship the God that we know in spirit and in truth. We're called to worship in spirit and truth. We're not called to worship in feelings and emotion. We're called to worship in spirit and truth. So again, one more time, how do we rekindle the lost love? Jesus gives us that answer with three simple words. In this text, he says, remember, repent, and return. First step, he says, is to remember. I think what he means is, remember what it's like when the gospel first gripped you. Remember the power of the grace of God. Do you recall that moment? Maybe not like the specific day and the time and the second of the hour, but do you remember that feeling 
of hearing the gospel and it resonates with you. I'm a sinner in need of saving. And God, out of his love and his glorious majesty, sent his son, Jesus Christ, both fully man, fully God, to die on the cross. And that if I repent of my sin and I believe in him, I have eternal life. Do you remember that feeling? Can you recall that season, that week, that month, that year, however long, the honeymoon period with Jesus? Jesus says, remember that. Notice he doesn't say, feel that way, remember it. Know what I have shown you and told you. Ephesians, the, the, there's actual letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10, written to the same church a few decades earlier. It says these words, it gives us the truth that we know. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do so. If you were to ask my kids who the strongest person in the world is, they're gonna tell you one person, daddy. Not because it's true, not because they know better, not because, you know, I try to tell them, like, well, who's the strongest person in the world? They're usually like, Garen, you know, because he's like way taller and bigger than I am. It's like, no, 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 dad's the strongest person in the world. Why? Because they know me. They know my voice. They haven't figured out that I lie to them. They trust what the Father has said. That's what you remember. God loves you. His grace is sufficient for you. He cares for you. Jesus died for you, for your sin, no matter what it is, no matter what it looks like. Remember that truth. Jesus says then repent. Repent. Sometimes we hear the word repent and I think we kind of freak out. I don't like that word, it's kind of scary. Sounds a little bad. But there's love in the word repent because it means you have an opportunity to come back. The most unloving thing God can do is not call you to repent. The most unloving thing God can do is if he were to abandon you, to become disinterested in you. Wouldn't it be interesting if Siri talked back to you? Like you're following directions, you're in like a new city, a town, you're on a trip. And you don't really know where you're going. You've been driving on the, on the road, right? And it's like, okay, okay, well, there's like a line here and a line here. It's like, okay, okay, I think, no, I think it's the next one. No, it's this one. No, I think it's the next one. And then, like, yep, nope, there, there it goes. That was it. That was the, okay. What if Siri just started responding? You idiot. Get it together. Do you know how to drive? Someone ought to revoke your license. I mean, I gave you the directions. I told you three times in advance. Don't you know, man? Can't you get it together? Man, yeah, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm going to go to a different phone where someone's going to listen to my directions. Be a crazy Siri. We'd be like, <laughs> I'm gonna switch to an Android now instead. What does Siri say? Do your turn. Come on back now. Let's try it again. Let's recalculate. That's what repentance is. That's what God's doing. He's saying, hey, you missed your exit. Just come on back. Let's try this again. I want you to be on the right track. I want you to be heading in the proper direction. And for this church in Ephesus, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus is saying, come on back now. Don't make it about you. Don't make it about your feelings. Make it about me. Come on back now. You missed that turn. It's okay, it happens. That's why I died. 
That's why I love you. That's why my grace is sufficient. Come on back now. Turn around. Let's get on the right track. Remember my love. Remember that truth. Remember that grace. Hold fast to that gospel. Come on back now. And then he just simply says, so return to what you did at first. Return to the first work. Our faith is so much more than an emotion. There's truth. There's good work to be done. There's worship to be had. And if you find yourself drifting, if you find yourself off course, if you find yourself saying, I don't feel it like I used to, the answer isn't, well, it must be dead and gone. The answer is, remember, repent, return. It's rooted in knowing that God is with you and that he is good. And that is why we worship. I wanna invite you to pray with me as we continue to worship the God of truth, the spirit of grace this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we lift up you in you alone. You've been so good to us. 2,000 years ago, you, you gave a vision to a dude named John. He was on an island. It so impacts our life today. Lord, we ask that your, your spirit remind us of why we are here. We're not here to, to chase necessarily an emotion or a feeling, even though it's not, it's not wrong to feel you. It's not wrong to, to, to understand or, 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 or to experience your love in powerful ways. But God, may we always make it about you and your love. If we feel it or if we don't feel it, we know the truth. We know we are called to worship, that we remain steadfast in what we do because you have called us to be that lampstand. You've called us to be that light in the darkness. But it's only because you were first that light for us that it shone on the depths of our sin and that you died and gave us new life. Lord, we worship you and you alone this morning. It's your name that we pray.